Hello, everyone, and welcome back to, to the Missourian Pick and Roll Podcast. My name is Rika Tellis, and I'm joined again by my partners, David Sack and Connor Worley. You are listening to episode 12, and we're coming to you just over a week after Missouri was ousted from the SEC tournament in Nashville, as you probably know. Uh, the Tigers won in the first round a 71-61 sound victory over Georgia to give Conzo Martin his first postseason victory in Columbia. But then, despite playing pretty well, the Tigers lost in the second round to Auburn 81-71. Missouri's season is now over, but we're still working away and we're going to be breaking down some superlatives for you all. Let's go ahead and start with the obvious and talk about the team MVP. Is there any question about who this should be? No, there isn't. I mean, I think for team MVP, we're all going to go with Jordan Geist, yeah. uh, Missouri's senior leader, their leading scorer on the season. I mean, like you said, Reed, there's, there's no doubt about this one. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't for him. Who knows how many games they wouldn't have won. Right. It seems like. There were a few games like throughout the entire season where he just willed their way to victory. Yeah, Geis was clearly the, the MVP before the conference tournament even started, but then he went and scored 30 points against Georgia, which was a career high. Went 9 for 15, uh, 10 of 13 from the free throw line, and then he scored 25 the next game against Auburn. And really, this is pretty crazy, but his first two years in Columbia he averaged around 7 points, and then he went and doubled that his senior season. Yeah, I mean, the SEC tournament was certainly uh, just a nice bow on, on Geist's career. I, I know it didn't go the way he wanted it to go from a team standpoint. I mean, right. you know, being around Jordan Geist, and I think he even said this, I mean, he went there to win five games and go to the NCAA tournament. That was Jordan Geist's mindset down there in Nashville. But at the end of the day, right. you know, like you said, going from averaging seven points a game, as a was that as a sophomore, you said? Yeah. That, yeah, software engineer, but he was around seven points a game. Yeah, I mean, that's just that's just quite a tremendous improvement. And to see him, you know, in those last two SEC tournament games with 55 points, I mean, he really, he willed them to victory on his own in the Georgia game, and he almost did it against Auburn, who, of course, ended up winning the tournament. Yeah, I mean, if they have a few other guys playing anywhere near his caliber in those two games, who knows how far they could have made it. Yeah. And before the year, I... I don't know if anyone really expected guys to be the MVP. I mean, he was obviously one of the senior leaders, but coming into this season, I don't know if anyone would have said that he was better than Kevin Puryear even. I mean, Puryear averaged 11 points his first year in Columbia, yeah. and even though that slacked down to 8.6 his junior year last season, that was because there's so much scoring elsewhere between Cassius Robertson and Jordan Barnett and even Jonte Porter. But then kind of a rough season for Kevin Puryear in his senior season. We'll, we'll talk about that later, but it was just kind of – a huge difference between the two seniors. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you look at the sample size of, that we had of guys coming into the year, it seemed just like a lot of mistakes and missed opportunities. So, mm -hmm. I think realistically, I don't think anyone would have ex or could have expected like him to become the player that he has. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure we'll get into this in our a little later in our biggest moment superlative. But it was also nice for guys to see or nice to see guys this year kind of exercise those late game defense. Exactly. You know, he had a lot of problems. Last year at the end of games, he'd have the ball and no one really know why and it wouldn't go well. This year it was very good to see, you know, in that UCF game, see him hit a buzzer beater to show that he could be the guy with the yeah. ball there. Yeah, it kind of went from, oh my God, Jordan Geis has the ball at the end of the game. This is this is bad, they're screwed. But and then it kind of went from that to, okay, Jordan Geis has it. If, if, if anyone's going to have the ball, it should be him. Yeah. That, that was kind of a crazy development. Let's go ahead and move on to our next superlative, which is which is uh, most promising of all the Tigers who had the most promising season. For me, it was Torrance Watson. Mm -hmm. And mostly of what he did in the like last month of the season, because I mean, for the first 
two or three months, he seemed to be struggling, couldn't really – his role wasn't necessarily defined. It was just come off the bench and shoot a bunch of threes, hope they go in. And he wasn't doing that very well. But, I don't know, something clicked around, like, mid-February and mm-hmm. it started coming together. And he just had this string of really amazing games and that extended all the way through the tournament. And yeah. I think he's going to be one of the series building blocks for this team in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, I think there's three candidates right here in Javon Pickett, Torrance Watson, and Xavier Pinson. I really think that you could make a valid case for all three of these guys. Definitely. Each of these guys have shown some flashes. Each of these guys have struggled this year. Um, for me, and it's, like I said, very tough, but I'm going to go Javon Pickett okay. just because I, I think that he has the most compl- – I'm trying to think of the best way to say this, but I think – with Javon Pickett's defense, I just think that is a part of his game that is more complete than any of these freshmen. The other freshmen have, you know, parts of their games complete, if that yeah. makes sense. I, I just <clears throat> Javon Pickett is a bona fide good SEC defender already. And then on top of that, he showed some strong offensive yeah. ability this year. Uh, especially before that back injury last month. I mean, to average 7.7 points a game as a freshman, that's not an easy thing to do. Um, There are surely things that Javon Pickett can work on. He shot 52.8% from the free throw line this Mm. year. That's got to get a lot better. Um, The three-point percentage, 31%, that's got to get better. There's, of course, things to improve on, but I, I do think ever so slightly I've seen the most out of Javon Pickett this year. Yeah, Pickett's biggest... Strong point, I guess, is his defense, obviously. But, but uh, when, he, when he was healthy, he really showed an impressive ability to finish at the rim, which the other two freshmen really struggled with most of the season. And also just the outside shooting was kind of impressive, too. I mean, he shot he shot 32% from deep, which definitely isn't great, but that's pretty solid for a freshman. Yeah. But I'm going to go ahead and agree with you, Connor, and say it's Torrance Watson, who really who really developed over the last six games of the season. And in and, and Watson's last six games, he scored in double figures in, in five of those, including two 20-point performances. And in the last game of the season against Auburn, um, we already said Jordan Guy scored 25, but uh, Watson added 20 along with that. And, that. and 14 of those points came in the second half when he was kind of trying to, like him and Guy's were really kind of single-handedly trying to prevent Missouri's season from, end, from ending. didn't really work out, but that was really really yeah. impressive for a freshman to show Six that. Six and nine for, from three in that, in that type of yeah. atmosphere is like really impressive too. Yeah. Also, we shouldn't forget about Pinson. Honestly, wouldn't be surprised if he makes a Jordan Geist-esque leap mm-hmm. next year or like from sophomore to junior year and then he becomes the best player on the team and go-to player. I think he has that type of ceiling too. Yeah. No doubt. I mean, there's a lot of things with Pinson you can clearly see. I mean, starting with the eye test, I mean, he is such a natural passer. Probably, you know, I've been close to this Missouri basketball team for four years now, and I don't think they've had a passer. That includes Jonte Porter. Yeah. I don't think they've had quite as natural of a passer. I mean, Xavier Pinson sees things without looking. He knows where all of his teammates are at all times, and you you sort of can't teach that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Pinson was was making those no-look passes before January even came. Yeah. And while that certainly certainly led to a lot of turnovers – the fact that he already has the, the comfort and the ability to do that really kind of shows where his passing already is. Yeah, so. and, and that's certainly got to be Pinson's number one thing to work on for next year. I mean, he has just got to cut down the turnovers. Yeah. I mean, it's impressive. He had 71 assists this year. That's a lot of assists for a guy who only plays 18.4 minutes a game. I yeah. mean, for comparison, Jordan Geist had 97 assists playing thirty almost 34 minutes a game. So, you know... Pinson really does create, but then at the same time, 
72 turnovers to go along with it. That yeah. leads the team despite, you know, playing yeah, but, yeah. playing so many fewer minutes. He's just got to cut down on those turnovers. Yeah, I'm sure Pinson still has a bad taste in his mouth after that last game of the season where he had eight turnovers, but that shouldn't take away from the promise he showed over the course of the season. No. And just quickly, I mean, there's – I wrote this yesterday, but there's no – Hotter position to play as a freshman in Conzo Martin's system than point guard. We yeah. should look what happened to Blake Harris last year. He transferred after nine games, and Pinson was in the doghouse for a short time in the middle of the season. He didn't. He, he missed one game. I forget which one it was, but he, he's, it was the only game that he missed, and he managed to earn back Conzo Martin's faith and make his way back into the rotation. So let's go ahead and move on to biggest surprise and biggest disappointment of the season. I'm going to go ahead and go with Geist for biggest surprise. And it's kind of an obvious one, but he doubled his scoring output and kind of. Emerged as a as a as Missouri's leader. Um, it's 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 tough for biggest surprise. I'm gonna have to go Mark Smith just because the way he shot the ball last year at Illinois for him to come back and be such a good shooter for that to be the strongest part of his game this year, I, I was very surprised and came out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, yeah, and David, to what you were saying a second ago, I think Pickett was a bit of a surprise. I don't know how much any of us could have expected from any of those freshmen, but. I mean, he started the vast majority of the season and was a productive player. And I don't think took away from the team at all at any point in the season. So it was great to see him have, like you said, his defense was a huge part of Mizzou staying in games. Right. For biggest disappointment, I'm kind of split between Jeremiah Tillman and Kevin Purrier. There can be an argument for Tillman just because of his foul issues. It really didn't, he really didn't solve that problem. But he did finish scoring uh, 10 points per game, which is, they're on the team. I'm going to go ahead and go with Perrier, who scored 7.1 points per game in his senior season, which was a career low, and really kind of failed to have a defined role within the offense and kind of struggled throughout the season. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you, Reed. I, I just, you know, like you said, Tillman is, you know, in kind of his own way a disappointment, but overall just, you know, you got to go Kevin Perrier. Mm. The team simply needed more out of him this year. Conzo said it all year, and like you said, to have a career low in scoring your senior year, that's really just not something you see a lot. I mean, this is a guy, and I know he had worse teammates. It was kind of more, it could be more his show if he wanted to be. Right. But this is a guy who averaged 11 points a game as a freshman four years ago. Mm-hmm. And to, to have that go down four points, just a shade over seven. It's very dis- rare to see that. Too. Yeah. It's also odd because he started out the season like productively. He had two 17-point games in the third and fourth game of the year. Mm-hmm. And then it just it just dropped after that. I don't really know if that was if he was just in his own head or teams were just really good at game planning against him. Yeah. But something like happened and he just would like fell down. It wasn't the same player that he'd been. Look, with Perrier, I mean, I, I was on I've been on this from from the second John Day Porter went down this year. I mean, I just thought Perrier really he slimmed down to be that three with, with Tillman and John Day Porter on this year's team and you know, then he had to go back and be a four, and he's just he at, at the four position. He is just a tweener. You know, mm-hmm. He's not built for the four in college basketball at six seven, not in the SEC at least. This is really strange, but Perrier attempted 195 field goals this season, and that was also a career low. So it's not like he's just shooting worse. His his, right. his percentages from the field are about the same. It's just he he didn't he didn't shoot as much as as he did the past three years, which is kind of insane. Yeah. Let's move on to biggest moment of the season. Uh, we put down two, but I think I think it has to go to Jordan Geist three to, to force overtime over Central Florida on December second, which the Tigers ultimately won. And that was probably 
one of their best, if not their best win of the season. Yeah, I mean, UCF's a nine seed in the tournament. I, I think it's pretty safe to say, unless I'm missing anything. I mean, I think that was the best team they beat this year, right? Yes. I mean, so, you know, that was the best team they beat. It was a totally miraculous shot by Jordan Geis to tie the game. Remember, the Tigers still had to go win it in overtime. Right. It was just uh, – it was it was a it was just a great moment all around. I think it was really good for Jordan guys to, like I said earlier, to exercise those late game demons. And obviously, the Tigers got a big win. I'm going to disagree. Okay, I do think that UCF game was the best moment for the program, but mm-hmm. I think the biggest moment of just this season was bragging rights because mm-hmm. I mean this team has wasn't projected to do anything uh, like from the beginning of the year. They didn't do anything, and that really felt like a championship atmosphere. It was oh, a yeah, game they did. hadn't yeah. won since 2012. <clears throat> yeah. And so to to get that off their back and to like win in like really compelling fashion too, I think it was like the by far the biggest moment of the year. Yeah, and it's it's hard to kind of put yourself there now because of just how things ended out ended up. But if you guys remember when they won that game, Andy Katz, who was there covering the game for Big Ten Network, yeah, his next bracket, his next bracketology projected bracket, whatever you want to call it, it had the Missouri Tigers wow, yeah. on it. I mean, That's why we started doing Tigers postseason watch. Right. It was and so, uh, in the midst of a six, like a flawless December. They went six and zero. Yeah, right. Yeah. So things were looking yeah. positive at that no, point. No, when. I think when we all walked out, when we walked out of uh, Enterprise Center, they're calling it now in St. Louis. I mean, I think we—I only speak for myself. I—I I, I think we ha- we thought that they had a chance yeah. to uh, to make the tournament. Which for this team, the fact that there was any point in the year where you thought they had a chance to make the tournament, mm. it is surprising. So the fact that it came from mainly from that game, and of course just the, the flawless December, you know, no doubt, uh, there's certainly a case to be made there. Yeah, the Brackenrights win looked at it in a vacuum. It's not particularly impressive. Illinois is 83rd in Ken Palm. It's not a good team. But just with how much that rev- that rivalry means to yeah. people in Columbia and how much that means for fans to see them get that win for the first time in six years and how much it means for the players on Missouri who are from St. Louis and who originally looking at Illinois to go to, uh, Jeremiah Tillman, Mark Smith, and Javon Pickett. And you could see how much how emotional that win was for them. It was, no no question. Yeah. There were, the fans were really, the Illinois fans were really giving it to Mark Smith throughout the game. There was one guy. he transferred from there. Right. There was one guy who was uh, a couple rows <laughs> behind us who I noticed the whole game was really giving it to Mark Smith. And Mark Smith kind of kept giving him looks. The, there's no doubt that game meant a lot to a lot of yeah. players and fans around this program. Mm-hmm. That was also like the only time all year I actually saw Javon Pickett celebrate. Yeah. Like yeah. after making a shot. Yeah. Like they were just hyped up. Yeah. Okay, we're going to move on to something different here. We're going to do best player to talk to in the media room at Missouri Arena after games. And I think it's between two, but we're going to go ahead and start with Kevin Purrier, who despite obviously had some struggles, but he was always incredibly gracious and always was very candid with his answers and was always willing to give media some time to talk to. We really appreciated that. Yeah, there's no doubt Kevin Purrier was always great to talk to, uh, you know, always took responsibility, just kind of a very good example of what a senior leader should be. But I would say my favorite player to talk to had be Jeremiah Tillman this season. Absolutely. I mean, just so, you know, just so honest, so himself, you know, I've never seen a player with the media. You know, if I were talking to the media, if I knew I were going to be recorded, I would certainly at least you know, 5% change the way I talk a little bit, just be a little more. Mm. But he is so himself, which I know I certainly appreciate. I'm sure you guys yeah. too, too. I mean, it's, it's all you can ask for. 
Oh yeah, it seemed like no matter like his performance or the team did well or not, he was just always in the same mood, same demeanor, like always. Yeah, was very <laughs> like jovial is the way that I would put it, and uh, like always answering questions thoughtfully yeah. and everything too. He was never short with anyone. Right. Yeah. And we only dealt with Kevin this last season, but like this is a guy who's known for being this way over his four years. We, yeah. He played with Kim Anderson his first two seasons. He's seen a lot of losing, and he's also been asked a lot about all that losing. And every single time, he's been just very gracious about it, which is kind of incredible. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt for Kevin Purrier, you know, three of his four years really just didn't go the way he wanted them to. I mean, two really awful years, of course, under Anderson. And while this year was, you know, we all agree this year wasn't close to as bad as a Kim Anderson year. No. You know, just coming off the <clears throat> NCAA tournament appearance his junior year, I mean, it was obviously, it must have been tough for him to kind of regress back to this mm -hmm. team standpoint. Most likely to play in the NBA. Is there anyone? Uh, well, someone has to be most likely. So, even okay, if there has to be a chance for someone. For me, it's probably a tie between Tillman and Watson at the moment. Tillman, I mean, if he keeps playing like he has these past two years and that just carries over into the next two, I don't think he's an NBA player, maybe a G League right. player. Um, and then Watson, if he, I think his shooting is good enough to where if he keeps improving that, it's an NBA-level shooter. Uh, obviously, the rest of his games are really going to have to pick up, especially on the defensive end, because he, he continues to be a liability there. Like teams aren't going to give him a look. But outside of those two, I'm not really sure I see much potential. Yeah, yeah. I think as far as NBA potential, I see a lot of comparisons between Jeremiah Tillman and Daniel Gafford in Arkansas. I think Jeremiah Tillman is a poor man's Gafford. I, I just yeah. think Tillman needs that time machine for his NBA prospects. Yeah. If he could go back 10, 15 years mm -hmm. to when just, you know, a guy who's just a post player could be valuable, you know, I think then Tillman would have two more years to really become yeah. just a tremendous post player. But in this day and age, you're going to have to have a jump shot that's consistent. I mean, Jeremiah Tillman, to have any chance at the NBA, you know, he's only 6'10", guys. I mean, he's going to have to have a knockdown yeah. 15 to 18 foot jump shot. And I just, I don't ever see that coming from him. Yeah, it's kind of hard to put your finger on one player. I mean, Tillman yeah. is obviously a candidate. If any of the freshmen get like, way better, then there's a chance there. But we could even change this question and say most likely to play professionally. We could talk about Jordan Geist, who definitely has a chance to go play internationally. Yeah, once you get into playing professionally, I think you do have a lot of candidates. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of leagues throughout the world, and there's a lot of, you know, I think Jordan Geist, without question, you know, after the season he just had in the SEC, he should go make a living in Europe. Yeah. And a good living Make a that. good living. Um, I really think if you're going to start getting into the, you know, non-NBA players, Xavier Pinson is one that jumps out to me. I mean, yeah. Xavier Pinson is not going to sniff the NBA too small. But, I mean, he could be a tremendous player in Europe with his speed and his passing ability. He mm -hmm. seems suited for the European game. Yeah. Okay, last one. Who will be MVP next season? It was Geist this season, but who will it be next year? Uh, it's just so tough right now, but I'm going to go with a little bit of a left field answer. I'm going to go Drew Smith. Oh, I've been wow. hearing a lot of things. About, I like that a lot. I've been hearing a lot of things about how, you know, I think it was Ben Fredrickson who's, who reported that Conzo Martin told him he, that Drew Smith's been the best player yeah. in practice, best guard in practice this year. I mean, the players have said that they, they can't find anyone to guard Drew Smith in practice. Yeah. So just, like, there's a lot of talk about there, it. There's, he seems kind of like. I don't want to call him a positionless player. I mean, he couldn't go, you know, get in the paint. But as far as guards go, he seems kind of positionless, if that makes sense. He can, yes. you know, yeah, you can fall around. Handle. Yeah. I, yeah, I think this team really needs a combo guard, too. 
like on yeah. the offensive end. So that would be interesting for me. I'll go a little bit left field too and say Trey Jackson. Mm. Wow, I like that. So, too. I mean, assuming Jonte leaves the team, they're going to need someone who could stretch the floor and open things up for Tillman in the paint. Yeah. And Porter obviously would have been like the perfect player for that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, his ACL tear has kept him out all year. But, I mean, if Trey Jackson can step in and fill that role and do at least as good of a job as Perrier's done this year, it's going to help the team a lot. Does Trey Jackson start next season? With Prier gone. It's a very interesting thing. Um, it's something I'll certainly get into in my uh, piece projecting what the team will look like next year. Um, right. I, I Could be Mitchell Smith. Yeah. I yeah. kind of, you know, I haven't really taken a, a thorough look at it yet, but I do think it's going to come down to those two guys. And yeah. It's if not it going to be Santos. No. And if it comes down to those two guys, uh, Trey Jackson's going to have a real good chance to start from the get-go. And I also wouldn't be surprised if – Mitch Smith's kind of started the first, you know, eight games or whatever, and right. then kind of yeah. got it got phased into Trey Jackson being yeah. the starter. But I think we'll see Trey Jackson, Trey Jackson on the court pretty quickly. But for a guy like Mario McKinney, with like a team that's decently deep with guard play, it's going to be a little bit tougher for him to get minutes. Yeah, and Missouri fans, if you want to get excited about Trey Jackson, Google Trey Jackson dunk. You will be impressed. <laughs> Okay, we're going to go ahead and sign off. Uh, we're, we're headed off to spring break now, but we'll have a few more podcasts over the next few months. But for now, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.